Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Mickey Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Ark Russell. I'm the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I've made dozens of films, shorts, and features as either a producer or a director. And I'm now just finishing up my first feature film as a ride director of The Alternate, which we have some cool news about. Stay tuned. I am Liz Manischel. I am a writer, director, producer with two features under my belt. Note to self... I'm going to look up the origin of the phrase under my belt. Um, back, back to scene. Um, I am a former film critic, current distribution consultant, who used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome back friends of the show, Brett and Drew Pierce, who were last on the show in the winter of 2019, talking about their film, The Wretched, which had just finished up its festival run and then had secured distribution with IFC Midnight. So it was like already super exciting. But then, in the spring, after the pandemic hit, they had massive massive success in drive-in theaters, grossing over a million dollars, which, I mean, isn't a lot now sounding, or like before, but during the pandemic, like, that's a lot of money to gross, especially for like a small little indie movie. Um, And since then, they've been pitching on projects and trying to get their next film together, and I thought it'd be really great to chat with them about what has happened to their careers after they had just about as much success as like a small indie horror film could hope for. You know, um, pretty much. I mean, they played all the big genre film festivals. Like, you know, it's crazy. Anyways, um, we are going to get right into our conversation with Brett and Drew, but don't go away because we've got another installment of Get Shorty featuring the Texas short, The Parable of Amos Moses. And, and Liz and I read a listener letter, and, him, and I have a big announcement about the alternate. Big announcement? Yeah. So without more fumbling over words, here is our talk with Brett and Drew. Context for listeners who are just joining us. This is our second interview with Brett and Drew from The Wretched. Yeah, you guys should check out uh, the episode with Brett and Drew from like a uh, winter of 2019 where we talk about The Wretched. Um, actually, that's not true. It was released in 2020 right when the movie came out because we held on to it for a long time. And then we released it when the movie came out, which I don't remember if that was March or April, but um, whenever your film was released was when your episode came out. So yeah, people- came out May- first so probably something kind of close to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go back to may 2020 or so in the making movies is hard archives you can find the first episodes so you can get caught up so you won't have any like you know you'll have all the context for this conversation conversation but um but yeah welcome back guys thanks so much for doing this really appreciate it oh thanks for having yeah, us thanks. um so thanks. just for podcast. people who didn't hear about this the first time uh, give us the elevator pitch for the wretched. Uh, uh, <laughs> a thousand-year-old witch is hiding under the skin of a young mother living next door to a teenage boy that discovers that she's not who she says she is. I, I haven't had to do that in so long. Yeah, that was like my my. <laughs> I was like, I gotta think about this. I haven't had nice to pull. Yeah. Uh, what festival did you premiere at? And yes, what festival did you premiere at? You premiered at. Fantasia Fest 2019. 2019, which yeah. is pretty awesome because, um, you know, we had the hopes and dreams of getting into like a, uh, like one of the top tier big festivals, you know, like the Toronto or the Sundance and all that stuff, um, South by Southwest. But 
Fantasia ended up turning out great because they have that Frontiers market that runs simultaneous mm. to the festival. So press actually shows up to it. So like CAA was there and they contacted us um, after our screening because we had a great screening and the um, variety was there. So they like reviewed us from the screen. So like, even though it, it wasn't like a top tier festival, we didn't really really understand but there's so much well you know, i think it, it's press it's, and industry there when so. it comes to genre fantasia is top tier you know it's yeah. kind of right like one of the best one you can go to um you know and most like you know most people have all heard of sundance and, and toronto but if you kind of go outside you guys know fantasia is yeah. kind of in that next line yeah. going down the list of yeah. your yeah. festival <laughs> yeah hopes and dreams yeah um we tried so hard to get in fantasia and we we got really close and we just didn't make it and uh yeah anyways but you know what well, we have a great premiere i don't care it's awesome yeah. um so i'm gonna kind of you know uh change this question a little bit so how many festivals festivals did you play total and what were some of like the top other festivals you played in addition to fantasia oh, i think we played like 40 or 50 festivals, but wow. the best ones that we we played uh, Fright Fest in, in the UK over in London. That's always like one of those just fantastic horror film festivals. Um, we also played Scream Fest in LA, you know, another horror festival that's a lot of fun. Toronto After Dark. Oh, Toronto After Dark, which is a great horror film that's festival. And probably actually, weirdly enough, one of the ones we enjoyed the absolute most that not a lot of people know of, it's called the Hardline Film Festival, and it's in Regensburg, Germany. Regensburg. And it was it's a like small, like yeah, old yeah. German town. Everything's, you know, cobblestone. And yeah. it's, 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 it was awesome. We basically are, we're in this little French hotel hanging out with like 15 other filmmakers eating yeah. free, you know, food. Yeah, and they, they show they show <laughs> your movie in this little theater that's really cute, but like behind the screen is a full bar. So it's, a, and it goes out into a beer garden. So, so it's very the, German. And so fun, if the movie's so. no good, you just yeah. kind of pop behind the screen and start drinking, yeah. usually with the filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah, like, what are you doing here? So it was great. Um, <laughs> but that's the whole reason we make movies is just to do the festival run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, at what point did your distribution deal come into focus uh, with whom? And um, we have a question here that I don't even know if we can ask, but can you talk about any details of distribution with regard to like an advance slash uh, minimum guarantee, what rights they took, things like that? Yeah, we can a little bit. Um, the, the route for us that happened is immediately at Fantasia, we attracted CAA as a domestic sales rep and they shortly came on board after we worked out the deal with them to sell the movie domestically. Um, at the same time, and shortly thereafter, a different company called AMP, which is a really great company, came on as our international sales rep for every other territory. Um, but it was pretty much, you know, Fantasia was in July of 2019. Mm. By like, you know, early October, we had sold to IFC Midnight uh, for domestic through CAA. And we had also started selling to, I think a bunch of, yeah, we had already sold to a bunch of foreign territories through AMP. So like quite a few, like had already started kind of getting taken up. Um, you know, like the MG was, we got an MG, which was cool. Um, it, you know, and it, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, the MGs never are what you want them to be. Yeah. It's still, yeah. it's still what we're close <laughs> yeah. to our budget. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, yeah, it doesn't ever really make sense. I mean, you almost think like, why even get an MG? Because you have to pay it anyway, you know? Yeah. So like, if you ever ended up with just your MG, 
it would be a horrible disaster anyway. You yeah. know, so it's kind of yeah. It seems almost kind of a yeah, you know, but a mute point between all that. Like, I mean, it because the movie did so well when it got released on you know in theaters, but also on you know in drive-ins and on video on demand and all the other outlets that they do. Um, we were able to you know pay off our MG and the movies continued to make money, which is a rarity. Yeah, I mean, to frame things a little bit for like your listeners is we made a movie without any real substantial names, like an indie movie for, you know, around two million bucks, you know, just Mm -hmm. trying to give people context. And, you know, which is really dangerous (laughs) territory to be treading (laughs) in. And I think we felt really good about the movie. It's a high concept horror movie that we felt had a really cool hook to it and was kind of like an easy sort of like high concept idea that people might go see, but without stars, you kind of just get as many things to kind of make it an easy decision. And then um, not to jump ahead, but I don't think anybody was like, you know, everybody was nervous about the film, even though everybody really liked it. But we we plotted our release for the May 1st when Black Widow was originally supposed to be released. And it was going right into the pandemic. And we were going to be released in like, 12 to 15 theaters was sort of the distribution deal we set up and the pandemic hit and we thought we just weren't going to come out but then IFC made the most miraculous great sort of pivot to releasing in drive-ins like it was a miracle for us because we still thought at that point we're like we'll come out in like 10 drive-ins and it'll be fun at least we get to come out the pandemic sucks but at least yeah our movie yeah, didn't we, get shelved we thought it was gonna be like a week just or go two straight to uh you know there and we you know maybe the movie would make like 50 grand if but we were lucky it, so. i think we made a movie that was because it's a witch movie and because it's a very simple concept to grasp basically like the witch next door which is literally the title in germany i think it was like the easy great drive-in movie for people to eat like an easy choice and um, we kind of intentionally named it, you know, we called it The Wretched. We actually changed the title going in because we felt like it was a little closer to like people might, you know, it's kind of in the vein of like The Insidious, The Conjuring, the, you know, that kind of type movie. And I think it was an easy choice for people. And then I think people liked the movie. They kind of, you know, the people got sucked in and word of mouth just spread. So we ended up each week, we sold out every show. Like we were just packed to the brim. Because also drive-ins became a thing. And it ended up running for six weeks as the number one movie in America because all the you know $200 million movies were wiped out. Um, and it, it ended up tying, it's the most ridiculous Jeopardy question ever, but it ended up tying like the Sixth Sense and Avatar for Black Panther <laughs> or Black yeah, Panther yeah, yeah. for running six weeks straight. So it's yeah. absurd. They made like $2 billion in the time that I think our movie made a couple million in, in, in the US box office. But um, it was just a cool experience, you know, it kept blowing up after a couple of weeks, we were doing press every day through IFC. And the questions started to turn from like, after about the three, four week mark to questions about the success, how drive-ins are back and how we're the biggest success. <laughs> being like this story about like, what's your, what was the concept of your movie to yeah. like, we were like the big drive-in story. Well, it was a story. The big bump that we saw in like just and it was because as an independent filmmaker it's like you never like to talk about numbers and think about but ifc is really great about every week sharing like this is how it's doing on vod and this is how it's doing in theaters and then we noticed that three weeks in um good morning america contacted our agents and managers and just said hey there's this drive-in story we're doing we want to talk about your movie because it's number one and drive-ins are back 
So they did this little short blip of a story. Um, and it was it was about drive-ins in general. We were just kind of like part of it. And you see us for maybe five or six seconds, like saying, oh, it's so crazy. Our movie's doing well. And we noticed when we got like the, the, the stats from IFC, like the next week, it was just like a huge reach, completely different. It kind of like made us realize in our heads, we're like, you know what the real thing is about independent movies is we don't have the advertising reach that studios have. Because this was just a blip on Good Morning America yeah. and it resulted in this. You we, know, so, we had this yeah. one week, I think it was right before Good Morning America, it's yeah. like week two or three. We had um, a week where we got reviewed by the Elliott Times, the New York Times, the something Variety, else. and like one of the other Hollywood Reporter or yeah. something. And everybody gave us like just glowing reviews. Um, and and that, I think that kind of, you know, escalated it and then got us off the bank. American stuff, thing. So. But it was, it was just a crazy wild ride because, you know, the world was ending. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, the world was ending. It's just weirdly enough people were watching a baby eating witch movie at the drive yeah so, yeah <laughs> so so i can uh, i guess we can safely say that you got a return on your investment for your investors and everything through this well i think we're getting there the other trick is with independent <laughs> movies the first time well you just gotta think well you're the first, the sales first time you quarterly, get yeah sales are quarterly part. so the first time you get really paid something to like pay back your investors or whatever is nearing six to eight months after the movie comes out. And that's kind of like catching up with, you know, I mean, I would say in our case, that was just the MGs we were getting from countries and IFC. And then we had to wait another three months before, you know, the next quarter where you start seeing what the movie made in theaters or on VOD, you start getting part of that. So it's just like delayed response. You know, it's like, you're kind of not really getting, you got to think like, you're not really getting anything significant for at least a year yeah. after your release. <laughs> the, sh the short so, answer is that yeah. I think the miracle is that our investors will probably get their money back and make a decent and return. And make some money too. Um, yeah. I mean, it'll take a little while because a lot of your sales are to like streaming, right? In streaming, they usually buy like a two, three year deal and you get it quarterly divided up. So even if you sell for a couple million dollars, you're real every quarter, you're only getting a couple hundred grand. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like we're, um, we're sold to a bunch of streamers, but we... We, it's not like IFC get that amount flat. They get like, you know, like one of the places we're sold to, they sold for X amount of money and we're being paid it broken up over three years, like every three months. So it's, it's like just very, you know, nothing's ever like, here's here's half your budget all in one clip. It's like, well, here's a little bit and here's here's a good chunk more and here's a lot more. Oh, here's a little bit more. You know, it's just like I that's mean, how said. forever. We were digging yeah. around trying to troll through and find any information about deals, how to make deals, what is a good deal. I mean, never any. And you, I know you've done a lot of work on that, Liz, uh, trying yeah. to provide that information. I've definitely dug into all your stuff. Um, but it, it's tricky because when, when you do make deals, all these people, your sales agents, yeah. distributors, there's all sorts of expenses and things that you never totally know about. And yes, we had lawyers and people, you know, trying to push on our behalf on all these things. But still, there's things that you get taxed on or expenses that you never foresee. And you're always you're always the last to get your money, basically. As yeah. a filmmaker, you just watch cut on cut on cut on cut. And then you're the last little portion where you're like, oh, good couple cents for us yeah and so you really like it, it you know in terms of we w went through this with our first film so we learned a lot through that not knowing a thing at all at that point and you know you realize that you you probably have to make somewhere around four times your budget back like 
gross everything to get your 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 budget to break even to break even yeah. because of all the hands and the things that are in it. It's if not- you have sales agents and if you, I mean, it's like a yeah. if you have all these things. If you have that a distributor, if you have yeah. sales agents, if you have expenses against the movie, if you have an MG, if you have all of these lists of things, yeah. there's so many things that come out. Um, and then even in our case, you know, where we just we made a, a healthy return at um, drive-ins, except for the fact that not only we were like the top billion on most of the drive-ins, we still have to split all of those, not only with half of it goes to the other movies that most people weren't going to see because we were like the top billion because we were the number one movie in America. Because everything's double feature. But we also have yeah. to right. half of that is going to go to the drive-in, uh, you know, people that run the drive-ins. And then after that, half of that's going to go to like, basically like IFC, like half of a half of a half, you know, like that's how yeah. these things work is the truth. It's, it, you know, number, I mean, if I looked at the full on gross of everything uh, the wretched made, I'd just be like jumping around as like before I learned about how, you know, profits. <laughs> we were kind of savvy about how this works. Like we got good, what, what are considered good and fair deals, you know, and it's still like, you know, it's still like, it's a long process and it's a long shot. Like we had to have a movie come out in a pandemic, be the number one movie, happen to have all the big movies pulled away, be number one. So it gets more, you know, more, more people go see it in the theater and more people rent, rent it on VOD and more people buy the Blu-ray later. And, and like, even things like, um, you know, there's, you know, our movie was going to be on this streaming service, but there was a, a, a thing in the deal that if it made so much in a movie theater, they had to pay more for it. And we got that because the movie did better than they expected. We had to get all those things, but it's still like, you know, it's still and, a slog. And we don't need to be grim about this state <laughs> yeah, of indie yeah. filmmaking, but there obviously is like a yeah. brutal truth. I don't know if, the, I mean, you know, having known dozens of filmmakers now and talking to everybody at festivals, I don't know if there's a single story that I've ever heard in the last five years where an indie movie, like an, an actual indie movie with like not production behind it, makes sense financially <laughs> like even the ones that are it doesn't are, yeah, are yeah. very successful yeah um and that's like the, the miracle which i think ours is going to end up probably being one of those but i think just financially it's not it, it, you know i think we're all playing the long game it's for us we make movies so we can hopefully make more movies <laughs> that's like the goal um so um you know just, just while we're on this topic was anything not worth the price of admission like you know, I would assume that CAA was worth the price of admission because they got you to IFC, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, and it sounds like you think highly of AMP. So it's yeah. what lawyers fees, like, is there something that you would have done differently? I think we feel good about pretty much all of our decisions. I can't think of anything else. And IFC was an amazing partner. They let us collaborate. I'm a poster designer is one of my side jobs and storyboarders. So they let us like make the poster. Yeah. Yeah, our, um, cra- crazy enough, our experience with IFC and AMP have been wonderful. AMP has been amazing. Yeah, um, they've been really great. They've been amazing partners. Yeah. I mean, CAA doesn't have a whole lot to do, is the truth. They like, they they set up the deal, though, you know, they, yeah. they collect the check. And, and so, you know, to, to CAA's credit, there was uh, an agent there that gave us really good advice uh, when we had a, a hard choice between a couple of different distributors that wanted it. And she actually pointed us towards something, strangely enough, that was less lucrative, but more kind of beneficial I to us. I think we found the one so, CA agent yeah. there that has a heart. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she actually have a lot of respect. Goodbye. Yeah, we've um, had, it was such a weird experience because we don't, we feel like we kind of did everything right. 
And we also had a mix of, we made a movie we people, people liked. We also got really lucky in all these different ways too. Um, so it, it just floors us. Like we're, we're happy. Like we're really happy with how things happen because it has afforded a lot of opportunities you never had before in our yeah, life. Yeah. For us, the game was, but, and we've, you know, we, the game was basically like, how can we punch our way up to trying to get like a studio? Because yeah. in our, in our view, like, there's sort of like two routes. There's the like Duplass brothers method of making really low budget movies, which we've done a bunch of like, and try and make that sustainable. Like how low can you make it? But I feel like over time budgets have gotten squashed more and more. So it turns into the like, let me get eight of my friends and let's figure out a way to shoot this movie creatively. And for us, we kind of were at this point where we were like, okay, we could do that and come up with a perfect like found footage something horror movie or like a really indie sort of one location thing. Or we can try and punch our way up and make something look glossy and pretty like the Spielberg and Hitchcockian movies we love and try and get that next step. So like for us, I mean, you know, I wouldn't ever say this out loud, but <laughs> our investors and stuff. But the goal is for us to make something that we're proud of that we can send to other creatives in LA and get representation by. And in that respect, we got managers, we've got agents that we love, we've got, we've had all the, we've gotten to meet everybody in town that has anything to do with a horror project ever. We've kind of gotten all of the doors opened. It's really just kind of like, can you guys convert? And <laughs> yeah. do you guys want to make- can, can you not be indie? Can you be studio? Yeah, you know, can you be like studio? So yeah. we're kind of been, we spent the last like year all through the pandemic. It's just been us. A lot of it's been us in a room on Zooms pitching to executives and doing generals, the whole water bottle tour just online. Yeah. Um, but learning how to do, I mean, we, we're pitching two TV shows now. We're, we, we, we did a whole run of a feature idea that we're in love with, but it's, it's a little bit of a big swing. It's like a, probably like a $15 million sort of horror movie that we're obsessed with. Um, and uh, we've pitched on a ton of IP. I mean, there's a lot of major some of them we didn't really want to pitch on, but a lot of reboots, a lot of, you know, famous franchise stuff. I think we might end up writing one of them now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been like a crazy journey, you know, yeah. kind of learning that that's been a huge learning process for us. Um, Cause I think in some ways we're kind of, you know, we think of ourselves as directors first and, and writers second, you know, and like producers are somewhere like eight notches down there. You know, but, um, you know, we kind of do all that stuff and we really had to embrace the writing side. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's been a year of meeting people and writing and, and learning how to pitch TV, which we never did before, but also, uh, you know, learning to make friends with executives and, and like understand how their system works and what they're looking what, for. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's a different game. It's like, I'm not just trying to make something that I think is cool anymore. I'm trying to make something I think is cool that I can somehow convince 25 other people that is a cool and how it makes <laughs> them feel like so, yeah, collaborative yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. a meeting where you rehearse something to death yeah. you know and yeah. all these things we've you know we've done a lot of making pitch docs and walking because it's a whole new world right now for pitching um because you're not in the room so the best way we've found is like making really elaborate pitch documents that we walk them through step by step of the yeah. stories you know because otherwise they just watch us kind of yeah, bob our heads and, bob, and, and tell yeah. the whole story. So, yeah, <laughs> which is pretty boring. I mean, even if it's the best movie in the world, somebody telling you a story for twenty minutes, it gets pretty. Yeah, 
rough. So, so through this last year, like, has it all just been a bunch of pitches that you haven't won or has there been opportunities that you guys have passed on because you didn't think that they were right for you or whatever? It's a mix because part of what it was is we were, we were, you know, the wretched got popular when the pandemic was raging. So everybody wanted to meet with us and talk to us, but everybody was on hold. Like, we don't know when the world's coming back. So we're not committing to any, I mean, they were committing to Marvel movies and, and, and Mission Impossible movies. They weren't, they were going to commit to some, like a movie between five and $20 million they might make with us. You, you know what I'm saying? Or something like that. They're not going to commit to that. Yeah. So we, we were pitching on all these things, meeting everyone around town, reading things that they were sending us that they wanted us to consider to direct when the world opened up again. So it has been a mix of us pitching our own stuff. We passed on directing a couple of things just because we didn't, we, we weren't feeling the material, which, you know, know, which has been tough so, because yeah. there's been, there's definitely been a lot of scripts. I yeah. mean, 90% of the scripts you read are like garbage, which is the truth, you know, but like, even when we find something that has like a glimmer of a really cool idea for us, it's usually, we're usually at this point where we're like, okay, we just got to rewrite half of it. It's got a great yeah. base, but there's, there's this whole, these characters are terrible. But, that, but then you're kind of into, whole last act is terrible. you're kind of into pitching territory again, where you got, everybody's already on board with this script and you got to convince them to let you like, you know, rewrite the third act. So we've had a couple studios yeah. that are just like, you know, and they're decent budget things like $7 million, like decent projects that we would be a step up for us. But with, you know, scripts, we're just not Feeling. excited about. Yeah. And honestly, you know, it's too hard to make a movie. To like make something you don't love yeah <laughs> and also it just doesn't feel like it would earn us much so the, we, we we definitely you know sometimes we've had the, this the, these powwows where we're like should we bother to commit like a week of our time to like really dig into this script and figure out how to make this awesome and we've done it a couple of times um uh and and sometimes the um, and most of the time the studio is just like well we want to shoot in two months guys uh you know and sometimes they <laughs> ideas we present them i think we're actually i think if there's anything that we've we've sort of gotten good at it is pitched on so many concepts that we get to high concept ideas i think so much quicker and kind of do the goods and we've definitely learned a lot about how to make things pitching is so different from storytelling like make things sound exciting and and and, and yeah emphasize that stuff um but yeah it's definitely been a struggle because you know, we we you can exhaust a lot of time working on other people's projects that you have no control over. Yeah. So it's it's a, the one thing I would say I advise everybody to do is you know you're afforded the opportunity to pitch to a lot of people a lot of different stuff. It's great, like or pitch on IP or they offer you scripts to maybe rewrite. Uh, do all that stuff, but also just constantly be writing your own stuff so you're also like filtering that same chain of I got something you can just read. So that's because we I, I feel like in the first three months we just got sucked down the hole of just pitching on other things that we didn't know you know and, and it's cool it's just a lot of work and it's it's kind of a big ask to get onto those things that you know it, it, we quickly shifted after that like let's just write a bunch of stuff and, and get even, it out even the ones that we whipped at or we pitched yeah. on some major we've even pitched on dc stuff we pitched yeah. on major property stuff like uh, i think they were all not only worthwhile for our experience, like we've learned an insane amount through the pitching process, but we've also developed some relationships with these executives that have come back to us. Yeah. Some of the big studios that like us. So hopefully when they have an ODA, like an open directing assignment or, or a, a script that they can't quite crack, they'll come back to us. You know, they'll yeah. keep us in mind. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's like, also partially it's like dating. Speed you know? dating. Yeah. It's like speed dating on Zoom with all these studio executives. 
and you're trying to get them to kind of like fall in love with you and think you're smart at the same time so that they come back to you with stuff later. <laughs> I, the thing that makes the most sense <laughs> for anybody is basically the and the thing that I think we could probably get greenlit fairly easy right now is something in you know a, a, a you know a bigger budget from what we were working before, but something that's double or triple the budget we did before that's high concept and kind of in the same genre. Those are the things, but we've We've definitely, and it's just in our nature, we take big swings. That's what we do. You know, we like right towards things we love. Um, so we went after, the, I mean, this guy's a massive comic book fan and I've been, you know, an artist for my entire life, but I was like a animator at Futurama and storyboard artist for 10 years. Um, so we have taken a couple shots at like comic book properties that we absolutely love and got our management to put us in contact with the creators and sold them on how much we love their you know, IP project. And then we've been taking those out to producers all yeah. over town and attaching producers. And then we take them to all the streamers. That's kind of been the big thing. Now, if, if we were being like tactical, that's probably a huge swing for two guys that made like a popular indie movie. It's like we're going to transition into massive TV franchise. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Um, but we don't know, care though. It's fun. We just go after the stuff we <laughs> love. The stuff you want to do. It's, yeah. It's, you yeah, make anything you don't want to make. So it's like, we're just let's try to make the things you know? we want to make. So, yeah. It's so like a $4 million horror film or high concept, you know, genre film doesn't excite you guys. This is like, oh, oh it does. We have ideas. <laughs> yeah. We, we have like, we have several. The truth is, the thing that excited us the most, we kind of started writing and pitching right away. And our, our management was like, let's take it out as a pitch. Um, and you know, we're actually almost done with the script now. Um, but it's, it was kind of a big swing. It's like a 15, but we actually got the $20 million movie. We actually got really close with it. We got so close. We got like so many studios are sitting close with something. So that all, yeah. You know, and, and yeah. um, our, basically we just decided like, we should just write this because yeah. it's actually, the truth is what we've realized with it, with, uh, features and stuff in general, I think it makes more sense to never pitch them. Right. Unless you're like. J.J. Abrams, and you can just walk in the door and be like, I got an idea. Yeah. But if you're not a major player, it's actually better to just write a spec because it it's so much work to develop a pitch and you kind of almost rework the story in your brain to pitch it that I think it's actually just as much work to write the entire script over a couple of months and just email it. Yeah. <laughs> because the well, time because when if you, you, if you win you that pitch, that company, like if they say, yeah, we like the pitch for your movie, write it, we're going to pay you. They own it. So you can't take it to everybody else in town. Uh, so we realized like, and you know, we were pitching this and we were kind of like, you know, people really like this and we're getting pretty close. But then we kind of like pulled it back. We said, let's just write it so that like they don't just own it. And then maybe it doesn't get made or it just gets stuck with them because uh -huh. we're starting to feel like, you know, it's a little bit of a big swing. So it's a little hard for them to say yes, but they're really close to saying yes. But if we write it and they can just read it and they're like, yep, this is good somebody might buy it, but then we can, you know, we can take it to more than one place. It's not owned by that person that commissioned it off of a pitch. So. Um, I'm going to jump in. I don't, I think I have a question. Um, you guys, oh, sorry, this is so bad. Okay. We talked to Amber Seeley like six months ago, maybe who directed No Man of God and a lot of ma amazing things. And I said to her, like, you know, you're on a fast moving train, right? And she's like, no, it feels like I'm a failure. You know, um, she had no idea. And then No Man of God came out and it's a big splash right now. I think you guys are aware and cognizant of the momentum that you're experiencing right now. I guess what I'm trying to get a sense of is like, um, do 
do you like, where do the deals happen? Like you say you're very close to something and you're, you're about to do all these different projects, but, um, I don't even know if there's a question here. The question is like, what could go wrong? Because it feels like from the outside that y'all are like in a very ideal position right now. Um, I mean, the only things that nothing, it's not that anything's necessarily going wrong. It's what that, it's the process it takes to get something made that is, um, this is what, I mean, and I don't know if you guys have covered this before, because the, the first thing that happens is you go to production companies all around town with either your pitch for a TV show or a movie or a script that you wrote. You have to get it on Zooms, convince those people at the production company to make your movie. And it'll be good production companies. And what you're aiming for is all these people, all these production companies have first look deals with the studio. So already you're, you're first you're pitching to a low to mid-level exec who then has to hear your pitch and, you're, and then has to go to the high tier exec, the person that owns the company or the top two people, they have to get convinced. That usually entails you being on another Zoom, convincing them. And then if they all decide, and that's pretty a big ask, and we've gotten through that portion of it, then they go, cool, we like this. We'll walk it into the studio on our first look deal. We'll just say with Netflix or Paramount or whatever. So then you go there and then you're again, well, before you even go there, you're revising the pitch and changing everything to make the production company happy, to make you happy. You're just trying to make it better and, 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 and make it as good as possible for where you're taking it to. You take it in there and talk to a mid-level or low exec there at the studio. They got to like <laughs> it and they got to go to their boss and convince them like, you should at least hear this. I think it's good, you know, and if you get them. And then finally, you're finally pitching to like the person that has to say yes. Well, it's like seven or eight people that have to say yes. And then you have to cross over that finish line. So, so in our one sort of, it's our, just there's so there, you're, we're in the midst of so a bunch layers. of different things, but there's so many layers to get something made that like the real answer that Drew and I have realized. And we had a friend who's a very successful screenwriter, and he's right because he just said as many irons in the fire at the same time because you never, you never know, know which one's going to go. Shooting or yeah. it's like a complete yes. Yeah, so we, yeah. we have two <laughs> irons in the fire. Right yeah, now. we're just kind of shooting everywhere. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, figure out that next thing. But there's yeah. like five or six things that we love. You know, yeah. <laughs> We're like this could happen. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's one like like here's the things we worked for a whole year with a lot of close stuff and maybes and and kind of yeses, but then not yeses. Um, and there's finally one now that seems like it's and, and I don't even want to jinx it. It's like 98 percent there, but that two percent could still mess it up right now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to hear more about the process of you talking about these comic book um, properties that you're like going to pitch the the creators on getting their sign off and then taking it to production companies and taking it to streamers or whatever. Like t talk to us about what that is and how that works and how's that well, different than pitching to, you know, to a studio. It was kind of the process I just described. It was like the mm. exact same thing, except um, having to convince the creators and the rights holders first to give it over to us. Um, I mean, mm. the, really the process is something I didn't realize, which is, you know, as soon as you get decent managers or agents, if you like, oh, this, this is just something that we realized is Drew and I were first getting all these, like these meetings with people at different production companies. And they're always like, do you like any comic books? Do you like any books? And we kept on those are like writing down names of stuff. <laughs> and we're like, oh, and then we've noticed that a lot of them would go get the rights to those and then like come back to us and be like, hey guys, that comic you said you liked? Well, we got the rights. Do you want to pitch on an idea for it? And we're like, 
why are we telling these people what we like? They're just kind of, <laughs> you know? so, so we, yeah. yeah, so we just approached the yeah. creators and kind of came up with like, what would, you know, our dream version season be of their comic book? Yeah. And there are things that are popular that we love. And we just kind of pitched them on like our love of the comic. I'm a, you know, an artist, so talked to the artists who were on there too. So we got to talk yeah. to the artists how much we love it and kind of just convince them on our vision. And, and, and you realize and that's that, the best part because they're the creative people that already yeah. love their they're, project. They're like you. They're, they're a lot of people. They're like frustrated filmmakers because a lot of them have gone <laughs> down the road of trying to get that thing made into a movie or and a TV show. And trying to create this engine and yeah. marketing for their comic books. So they understand yeah. what you're kind of doing. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Well, they've also seen like, you know, their, their, their creation baby, somebody try to turn it into something it's not meant to be and it doesn't happen and that they, they, they get really frustrated by that. So when us as like creatives come to them who genuinely love the stuff they do, and of course there has to be changes to make something work as a movie or a TV show, when they see that you're genuinely in love with it and you understand it and you're trying to like hold the spirit of what they love about it in there, they said yes to us. And we were not, I mean, we were kind of surprised because, you know, they had other people that were interested, but it's because they were like, oh, you guys understand what I love about this. And I've seen other people try to take it and, you know, turn it into like a bad teen drama. And that's not what I wrote, you know, or something like that. That's, that's usually kind of how they feel. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I, and we, we don't have a ton of time, but I want to go back slightly for people who, didn't catch our first episode. You said that your first, this feature, which is not your first feature, but your feature was $2 million. And I think, I think getting that budget was the like firing gun for the rest of your career. I'm just going to make that assumption. It really seems like things took off because you had that budget that allowed you to make the film with the resources that needed. Um, Can you talk a little bit about leveling up in that way? Yeah. you know, requesting what you need to make a film. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think obviously that's a huge, was a huge stepping stone and not to, there's a million stepping stones is the truth because we've made a bunch of other really low budget movies people will never see for like $4,000 for, with our friends, you know, even our friends that are working on massive features in LA now. Um, and we made a $200,000 like zombie comedy. That that's our first real movie. Just yeah. all these things that like sort of gave people, uh, you know, enough credibility in us, right? But also Brett and I, this is the only reason we were able to get the $2 million. Brett and I, we spent 10 years like recovering from being broke from our first $200,000 feature working in the industry. Like I had a good job. I was working as a storyboard artist for, you know, commercials and features and stuff. And Brett has been working as a producer in reality TV and bouncing around. But we've learned a ton about production and all that stuff. You know, basically I've just gotten to practice being a director on other people's things. So all of that experience and all of those, I think gave confidence to the investors basically. We found, we spent, I mean, just give up. I think we might've talked about this the first time around, but we basically spent a couple of years trying to raise money for this film. And everybody told us it was like a four to $5 million feature. I mean, it is a really ambitious horror movie with creature effects, uh, you know, a cave set, like really ambitious production kids, design, kids, yeah. animals, like the whole gamut, deer. Um, but we, you know, it's it's a script and a story we believed in and we just kept sort of pushing. And ultimately we tried it with a couple of production companies that kept faltering. Like they even tried to attach like Megan Fox who didn't fit the mm-hmm. right, but it wasn't the vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't want to even go out to her and good thing she turned it down. Um, 
But, uh, you know, and I like Megan Fox, who just didn't fit this movie. But there, they, we, we basically were like, okay, what can we do? You know, how can we do this the way we've always done it? Let's go find private investment. So we just, kind of, you know, our dad was an effects artist in the original Evil Dead. So we've heard that the lore of Evil Dead a million times. He's taking my son for a swimming class right now. That's his job now. <laughs> but <laughs> essentially, they just went to rich people. They went and screened their short films and stuff to dentists and lawyers and doctors when they were like indie filmmakers and said, hey, here, here's our, we want to make this movie. And we basically, you know, that's how we got our money for Deadheads. And that's how for our first feature. And for this, we basically, you know, took swings at like the biggest sort of the wealthiest people we know, right? I mean, it wasn't like film financers, people just that have a ton of you know excess money and would be interested in the film world and pitched several and um basically put together a really elaborate pitch doc that looks like beautiful you know that tell, walks you through the characters the story the all the the the, the sort of creative elements we also put together like a, a document that's all the legal stuff a separate one that's sort of about the risk of investment and comps you know and trying to not be lofty about the comps like oh the Blair Witch project made a billion dollars so you will you know you try and give the best comps you can and all that but we basically made all this stuff and we made like a proof of concept trailer and and you know had the finished script but we also like i worked at i was working at the henson shop we showed them you know the henson shop while i was there you know i showed them charlie chaplin's footsteps and and got him excited about <laughs> and i mean it was like it was courting people for a, the same people for a year yeah to try to make it happen so it and just they believed in us to their yeah. credit they really love you know and i don't think it was i think it's partially the idea of like we want to make a return on investment but i think it's also that like we convinced them on us you know you have to be a salesman there's the days of being the the lowly like quiet filmmaker are gone you have to be like a hype <laughs> yeah. for yourself yeah. i mean and the thing was they saw how devoted we were through the whole process so it, there was never like even when Drew and I flew, we flew out of state to go kind of get the, the contract signed where they were going to give us the money. And and right before he signed it, he just said, like, I believe in you guys. And I know this is your dream. And I know that, like, he'd already seen us been fighting for this for two years. And he understood our whole backstory that he was like, he just felt confident about it. And 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 that was more what it was than anything was selling them. I mean, and it's you want to want to make it technical, but it was passion. And it's still a miracle. So, and yeah. every time we get any yeah. small payment, like we breathe a sigh of relief, you know, that they're probably going to get their money back and, and make a little bit of money, which is cool. But like it's it was a miracle. I mean, it yeah. is a miracle. It was really like, a, you know, doing all the work and having all the stuff, but also lucky, yeah. you know. So my big question is like, now that you have all this heat behind you with like a super successful movie that like made all this money, like all these, you know, big, not wonderful stats, you have awesome managers and agents and all this stuff. Like, why don't you just do the same thing again? Like package your own project, go out to investors and like kind of do it on your own and like not rely on, you know, going to all these pitches and stuff. The honest truth is we're doing that at the same time we're doing all of this. So we're doing all the pitch stuff, but we also have... yeah, we also have one project that we want to just go shoot, you know, and given it's a bigger budget from our original, but um, we think we can put it together. But that's, you know, we're trying to figure yeah. that, but we're also doing all these other things. Yeah, you know? and, and, and that's just from the angle of have as many irons in the fire as possible because we love all this studio stuff and we're going to try to take advantage of every avenue. But we also are like, 
you know, we know how to do this. So that's an avenue too. So let's pursue that one at the same time because, you know, that's better we, chances that something That's happens. why we cloned ourselves. Yeah. It's just too much work. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I loved your guys' episode, by the way, the other day talking about parenthood and congratulations, by the way, all right. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> the best. Yeah. I was a new dad, uh, Liz, you, know, you brought I was a new dad going into my movie, The Wretched, basically. I had a, you know, a one-year-old and oh, wow. a, new, a new house, and a full-time job at the time. And I was trying to make a movie. So I was like feeling the weight of the world. I think I destroyed my health going through that, that whole process. Um, we put uh, we put my baby in the movie. He gets uh, murdered by a witch. It's great. Yeah. Oh, it. awesome. That's your baby. Amazing. I have another one. I yeah. have two now. But uh, <laughs> the, the whole, I mean, honestly, the whole thing you guys talking about that like resonated with me talking about parenthood, Liz, <laughs> and how much of a struggle it is. And how, I mean, it was just great. So, <laughs> well, I'm I'm a month in, so I'm just like oh. trying to figure it all out here, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to get sleep where I can. Yeah. Um, Liz, I have another question. If, unless you have a question first. No, I think you do yours, and then let's go to final five. Um, because I have to pick up my kid at four. <laughs> so that, the, the last big question, and like I think what a lot of people are wondering is like, you know, you've had a year of pitching, a year of almost yeses and a year of like irons in the fire but what have you guys been doing to pay the bills in this time have you guys gone back to your day jobs to freelance jobs or is there another way that you're able to provide for yourselves yeah i mean it's it was a little bit side gig stuff before pre the pandemic that we were surviving off of like we shot a commercial right before the pandemic hit oh, nice strangely enough we're finishing it right now because it shut down midway Wait. so we're yeah, they yeah. closed the company down and they mm-hmm. rebranded it. So now we're changing all the logos and stuff and yeah, doing oh, the final wow. post on that. Doing and that. But like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Unemployment He's for this guy. Unemployment for me. And, and this guy was also like still doing storyboard work and poster work. Oh, wow. of this when it when it came up. So it's like, you know, I mean, in a weird way, it's it's great. We're busy in all the best ways possible, but it's still, you know, like man, man making movies is just a big hustle. <laughs> So, yeah, wow. it is to the point where we we're like, we definitely want to get a gig, you know, and actually get paid to do this since we've worked on stuff like for free for a year. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's yeah. what you're that's the one thing you realize, like after you get some attention, you're actually you're in the pipeline for a year of free work to land something that uh-huh. is, <laughs> it's essentially what it is, you know, which is a good place to be. But you just got to go like. I got a year of at least pitching and talking to these people, meeting everybody and getting the right thing down the pipeline before, you know, I, I, I yeah. get to do it. And so. I'm fortunate. I mean, I'm not proud. Like if I have to, I'll go back and do some storyboards. I mean, I was like a pro storyboard artist forever. I can always jump in for a couple of weeks and do storyboards for a couple of weeks and get back. You know, that's just how it's got to be, you know, mm-hmm. you to survive. Yeah. Well, I have a lot to look forward to. If I have the most success I could possibly imagine, I have a lot of work ahead of me um, to hopefully be in the position you guys are in a year from when my movie, um, you know, it comes out eventually, I'm whenever that's going to be. Man, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, it's like man. Uh, thanks. Right? It's- yeah, September 11th is going to um, be at the uh, Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Uh, midnight oh, screen. We'll come see it. We'll come see yeah, it. Yeah, I hope you guys can be there. Um, yeah. It's going to be really exciting. That's going to be the first time anyone sees it, um, you know, publicly. It's probably the first time it'll be screened in its entirety for anyone besides me because it, we're going to finish it like two weeks before. So, okay. um, yeah, crazy. Very cool. That's awesome. All right, Liz, take us in. All right. What's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Oh, 
Dead on Dead. Or like, wait, dead. you are you already answered these questions, right? So what's the second film you ever made, and how do you feel about <laughs> it now? It's the Wretched. Um, I guess I like it better now than when we finished it. That's a weird thing to say, but I like I. It never felt like it was finished or in. It's never good enough when you finish it, but like a year later, you kind of start to see like, oh, this is, this works pretty good, you know. So I guess it's, that's how I feel about it now. I'm like. I feel good about it. I have some distance away from it. So. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. I mean, yeah. Brett knows every day all I do, I can't shut off my brain. I just criticize it and critique it every yeah. day forever. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the just the filmmaking process. If it was process. up to him, we'd go reshoot stuff and still change it. So, I was well, to, no, it's on Hulu. Hold the George Lucas. No, I wouldn't do that. It's yeah. I can't help it. I can't shut off my sort of my brain yeah. just reworking what's better. <laughs> Idea. Well, well, I rented it open opening weekend. Uh, my wife and I watched it. We both really liked it. So great job. Well, cool. Awesome film. Yeah. Anyone who likes horror or creature effects should definitely check it out because your witch stuff was like, holy shit. That was amazing. Yeah, thanks, oh, thanks, and it's kind of it's not like really dark horror, scary stuff. If you ever want to watch it, Liz. it's not. I mean, yes, there is some child murder. Oh, no, no, I I can handle uh, horror. I can't handle things like Antichrist anymore. Oh, I can't handle oh, okay. like <laughs> existential like horror. I can handle creature. I love blood. Okay, I'll go. I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Hopefully something within the last year. Maybe. I, you know, this is, I've heard Spielberg. I'm obsessed with Spielberg. I can't help it. I'm obsessed with everything. <laughs> which is always embarrassing whenever we go to horror film festivals and people just, you know, want to pick your brain about like obscure horror stuff. But he always says, and this is the thing that's rang the most true. And I don't think I understood it when he first talked about it, but he always talks about like when you're, when you creatively, all the ideas and all the things that you're, you, you want to go towards, just always listen to that, like that whisper that like the thing that's screaming and telling you what you should do is not necessarily the right thing. Like listen to that whisper that's and and trust that whisper that's deep down that your intuition. And I think that's the thing that I think we've both learned more than anything is like, you know, and it, it, it sounds almost like full yourself, but like the, the things that we're the most proud of, we knew we're going to work. Like you, it, we felt it in our intuition. And like, that's the thing I think we've learned more than anything. And my favorite advice is like, trust that intuition because it's the best, guide it is so quiet a lot of times though you know yeah uh, one i love is i was a kid visiting my dad a long time ago and he he, he lived in la and we were little and he worked to, he made like special edition dvds like he would produce the supplements <laughs> so he's hanging out with this old filmmaker named richard rush who directed this movie called the stuntman and i was swimming in the pool and i was like 14 and i was just like so how do you get into oh. the movies <laughs> you know how do you do it he starts telling me how he uh, he went and saw Martin Scorsese's Kundun the night before, and he just goes Kundun. He's like beautiful cinematography, really well acted, fantastic production design. He just goes boring. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, "Hey kid, biggest crime you can commit is make a movie that's boring. Just don't be boring." <laughs> so I always remember that when I'm like writing or editing, I'm just like just just. If I'm like struggling, I'm like, just don't be boring. That, that's the trick. Don't be boring. <laughs> well, step, step man's a lot of things. It's definitely not boring. For yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> like, what are I, your, oh. Oh, sorry. What are your goals as filmmakers? I just want to make another movie that I like, that I love, that I want to make. I mean, it's like they're, you know, yeah, everyone's just, always trying to manage careers and figure out like the managers and agents are always trying to do that. And I think the hard part for them to come to terms with is Drew and I, the sound star, we're not motivated by money. We're motivated by like, man, I really love this. And that's when like we go hard, hard to leave. But sometimes they're like, 
here's money and something that's kind of like what you like to do. And you're just kind of like, yeah, but it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, so I don't. I <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. keep making movies, find a way to make this like actually sustainable, you know, yeah. like permanently yeah, yeah. sustainable. Yeah. But just make things I'm proud of and things I, I care about, you know, it is that's really the only goal, you know. <laughs> Uh, if you guys could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourselves? Oh, oh man. I don't know, man. See, I wouldn't want to because it probably dissuade me from making movies. Yeah, I feel yeah. like all the, whenever <laughs> like, we get like a message every other week now from like, like young filmmakers in some, you know, random state like Montana or something. And they, I'll end up on the phone with them for like an hour or something, giving them advice. And I always feel like lackluster halfway through the advice because I'm like, I don't think any of this is going to help you. You know, I don't want to dissuade you in any way. Really, you should just like, if you're excited about something, go do it. Yeah, like, I, that's the the thing is like, just follow the fun. Like, yeah, that's like, it, it, I feel like all the advice that I could have ever gotten would have just like ruined it. I don't think any of our movies, like the decisions in retrospect might have worked out in some way or not, but I don't know if they would ever, ever make sense. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like actually glad I was really naive about the whole situation of how movies work, how they're made, the financial implications of them, all that stuff. Because if I was aware of it, it would just look so daunting. And I was just more dumb and passionate. And I would want to stay that way young because I think if I went back, I'd be like, Hey, make sure you get a you know a name actor, and that you make sure you do this. <laughs> I wouldn't do it, you know. I'd I think be like, well, just, that sounds like just really in hard. general, it's frustrating. We're yeah. at this point where like every and I listen to like a ton of podcasts and stuff, but all the discussions are about like how do you get something made, and like there's not enough podcasts that are about like what are your creative decisions yeah. because it has to be <laughs> so hard to make things now. It's not you know it's it's not about like lens choices and cinematography and and how did you pick these people. It's always like. How did you get the money? Like it has to be kind of because yeah. it's so hard. That's like the necessity. That's what I wanted to know about too, going in. <laughs> I love the follow the fun. I've heard that advice before and I think it's really good life advice. Last question is making movies hard. It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's, I don't That's know. That's the man. fun of it though, to be honest. I wouldn't have it any other yeah. way. Like yeah. if it was easy, it would be so boring. It wouldn't sound, yeah. it wouldn't, that's the, it's the thrill of the chase. Like, I like the fact that like, no matter what, even though we feel like we had some success, everything is just another tier. It's like, you just got up one tier to another big, bad boss. That's harder than you ever imagined. Yeah. But that's what happens in movies, right? Like you get to the middle act and you're like, oh shit, I wasn't even pursuing the right thing. Yeah. It's a completely different goal. Yeah. And that's movies. You know, I, always... you know, as much of this, I love, it is hard, but I love the challenge that's hard because it just, it gets me all fired up. I love it. I like it when people tell me no. Because it makes me go like, no, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, one of the things I just thought of that I don't normally do this, but like, you know, when I was younger, like I wish someone who had told me earlier or I had figured out earlier that there was no like magic to this. There was like no secret. There was like no thing or person that will come and save me and make making movies easier. That like, oh, if I just get this one thing everything will be easier. It's like, that never happens. It's always going to be hard. You always have to do it yourself. Yep. You always have to grind it out. And I think once you accept that, then you can actually make things a lot easier yeah. because it's that you just Mark know. Duplass speech about the cavalry isn't coming and everybody. Right. Knows. So the most accurate thing I have ever heard, it's, it's, it's probably the most 
yeah, the most, but every time I one lesson, you it, take there's away. still part of me that's just like, yeah, but what if Kelvin comes? You know, like that's, <laughs> but, but I mean, you guys are pro examples because you guys have the Calvary, you have the agents, you have the managers, you have these connections and look at what you guys are going through. It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, the truth is my only cavalry is this guy, you know, all that other stuff's great. No, he is, he is. He's the one guy that's like, we're still working to do this together. <laughs> Not everybody has that. So, you know what the deflating know, so, part is though? Cause yeah. our dad obviously did the effects on evil dad or whatever. He was like a old film guy, but he's so nostalgic for like old Hollywood. So whenever we talk about stuff, he's just like, you know, his advice or his like sort of like perception is just like, yeah, but, what you need to do is, you know, get a big producer attached and then it all, like, <laughs> funny. you know, he's, all, he's so like romantic about Hollywood and the way stuff is produced. And, and we're so like in the trenches of like, you know, how do we shoot something on pennies? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> um, so last little bit, where should people go if they want to learn more about you? Where can they hunt you down to, to find out all the details of your careers? Oh, man. Oh, man. I, we were both terrible with the social medias. This guy got so stressed out. Like he was, he became like an Instagram junkie. And just got off. It was, yeah, I was like doing it to promote the movie. And after, as soon as like the movie was like done, do it, I was like, I never want to do this again. So I just kind of like got off all of it. So I mean, the best way to find anything out about us is just watch our movie on Hulu, The Wretched. <laughs> you know, it's like the only, nice. the only place to find it. Yeah, I mean, anywhere. we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Yeah. You can track us down. And, yeah. You know, we're just not. Just not, just not doing any, anything on it, which, you know, it's probably to our fault. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, Thank this you. is fantastic. So we haven't recorded our conversation with Brett and Drew yet, so we don't have any, like, reflection or anything. But, uh, yeah, I think Liz has a get shorty for us. I do. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. This week on Get Shorty, we have a brand new short film, uh, which was recommended to us from friends of the show, Travis and Madison. And the film is called The Parable of Amos Moses. And we have filmmakers Dylan Varela and Mason Beals, apologies if I mispronounced both those names, on the show to talk about their film. Here they are. Hello, how's it going? I'm Mason Beals, the writer and star of uh, Amos Moses, or The Parable of Amos Moses. Yeah, and I'm Dylan Varela. I uh, directed it. First question, uh, why did you make a short versus any other medium? We weren't going to like make a feature. It wasn't yeah. going to be a puppet show. Um, you know, film is our our medium of choice, really. Like, it's, you know, we both we both edit and shoot and, and write and stuff. So the whole thing truly was almost just an exercise. Like, let's let's just make something together. Yeah, and uh, definitely. Because it was definitely the first time that, like, I had somebody else direct something of mine, um, and Dylan and I worked together, and we used to be friends, um, then this project just tore us apart. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, yeah, like you said, just a, a good practice of things. Uh, so why this story? Uh, the movie is based off of, like, oh, the yeah. song Amos Moses. By uh, Jerry Reed? Jerry Reed, yeah. and, like, I just liked the sound of it, and I was just on a walk one day, and I just kind of thought of this idea for the script for this, like, really country, um, private investigator but then finding the meaning within that is like what's the struggle and it's like he's fearful i think was just like fun yeah. and i'm also a fearful person so it was like really Relatable. pretty so easy to write i don't know i think it's both our styles where there's there's enough comedy in it but like at the end of the day there's something kind of sweet to it you know yeah. it checked all the boxes for like we said like this exercise you know it was yeah. just it was something that we were excited to approach how did your team come up with the funds ha 
jobs. Pockets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Deep pockets. Deep daddy pockets is what they call me and him. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't... Uh, I mean, the budget was probably like two or three grand total. I think all of our year... Like, we both started in, you know, super young making films, and this was like... You know, when you learn how to do literally everything, it's like, I feel like we stretched a dollar pretty damn far for this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was proud of that. Before making the short, what did you think would happen to your career because of it? What did end up happening? Uh, I don't think I thought anything would happen. Yeah. Uh, it's just like most early filmmakers should go into making things with the expectation that nothing will happen. Yeah. Because that's not the reason why you should make things. You should make just things because, yeah, because you yeah. like to. So Post took a long time because of yours truly. Uh, and even by the time it was done, I was like, I was just glad it was finished and like we created yeah. it. I, I cared about like showing other people, but like as far as festivals and stuff, I don't know. I, I think, and I do, I do think that lied in how long it took me to cut it. Probably like some of the enthusiasm died off. Um, yeah. And by the time it was done, it just felt like an accomplishment. You know, just something that we were like proud of that we created, and uh, it's got some views and some good responses from. Yeah our moms now that it's out in the world what purpose does it serve i mean for me it's like you know my most recent legitimate short film mm -hmm. so when i'm applying for other things uh or on my next project when i maybe do want to try and you know raise some money it's something i can point to you know it's just yeah. it was it was an exercise but like i think it i think it turned out well it looks good it looks like we know what we're doing and mm -hmm. uh so yeah it's like something i can just use in the future I like making stuff that's entertaining for people just to watch if they want to. Like, that's kind of a big thing for me. Like, like I have a couple yeah. of, like, fans of this short film. They're yeah. like, I watch it every now and then. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, that's great. You know, like, good yeah, for you. Yeah, it's a good feeling. Like, yeah. I mean, you spend all that time creating something and for it to actually have, like, multiple uses yeah, is, yeah. is a nice feeling. Absolutely. Sure. Would you do anything differently story-wise now that the short is done and released? I don't know. It's like... What I appreciate about it is that it feels like a short film, like yeah. it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. There's a lot of short films that are just ambiguous and artsy, and that's fine, but yeah. like, this one I do like that it has a wrap-up. Um, so it almost feels like you can't really do anything too differently in no. a way. I think this is us just searching for like what more we could have added, and at the end of the day, we had to cut out like seven minutes, yeah. so yeah. planning for a 13-minute yeah. cut from the beginning, because it, right. it was kind of odd cutting around so much, especially when you only have small yeah. amount of time already so just being smarter from yeah the absolutely just being better smarter faster stronger so then one bonus question is uh why did we use a beastie boys song in our short the, the reason we used it is because there wasn't a copyright on it it was a part of um it was a part of something that wired magazine did in 2004 where there's like a whole album uh there's like a spoon song a my morning jacket song uh beastie boys they basically released it for filmmakers people to remix reuse um i just thought it was a cool addition you know like to actually get a a name that you recognize and put it in our short yeah. um so yeah there really wasn't much risk to it i know when we put it on youtube we still did have to like go over that hurdle but i think it's, yeah it's okay after no one cares after we explained nobody really yeah. cares who gives a shit so uh yeah that's it that's it Alric, what what are your thoughts hmm what are your thoughts about this film so i really liked the style and tone i thought it was great um, I thought it was shot really well, and it was really beautiful and really cool angles and stuff. I like the goofiness of the story. I mean, you know, any movie where you're going to have a character <laughs> called the Laramie Brothers who are named Jeremy and Teremy Laramie. <laughs> I mean, my God, that is amazing. Uh, and Played also by Travis. Was, Jeremy yeah, and Travis. 
Jeremy's Travis and the other uh, Jeremy is played by a woman. So I thought that was kind of fun that they had like the Laramie brothers and one was a woman. And it's just like, <laughs> that's just what it is. And it's like, oh, that's kind of fun. That's different. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it's just the same old note I give every time. Just wish there was no voiceover. Don't think it was needed. Um, it wasn't I, like w- watching it the first time going all the way through. I was like, oh, man, there was voiceover throughout the whole thing. It was just voiceover, voiceover, voiceover. And then I watched it again and I counted. And it was only like maybe two times that the voiceover was there. Mm. And but it just didn't need to be. It just I was like, why are we doing this? We don't need a nice little bow wrap up of like how he's feeling or his inner monologue while he's doing things like, no, like, don't we don't care. Like, just. Let us just enjoy the movie and the story unravel. I mean, it's it's good storytelling as it is. Like, we don't need all this other stuff. So, anyways, that's kind of my, my, my thoughts on it. But, Liz, what did you think? Um, a few notes. I agree with you about everything you said. It's really beautiful looking. Um, it's interesting. It's quirky. I'm, I'm usually drawn to that type of content. I guess my big picture notes, if they're going to get constructive, which I always um, get nervous about, but we'll do it regardless, is... Um, a, um, the character of Amos Moses feels like he's trying to vindicate himself, right? It's like his dad was um, a private investigator or detective and, and had a certain reputation. And he goes and he does a more safer trajectory for himself. And I guess I missed that aspect of his drive throughout the short. Like it wasn't pushing him forward. He felt like he was kind of like loosely floating from scene to scene and not driven by this goal that I thought was planted in the beginning that uh, was ripe for drama. Um, In addition to that, um, I thought there were some sound issues, especially in the very beginning where there's no backgrounds. And Mm. so the tracks were isolated to a degree where it didn't feel like they were in a space like mm. in a room and that mm. was very off-putting to me mm. um it took me a while to figure out what it was that made me feel strange about the opening scene and i was like oh it's the sound um i thought they could go a lot farther with the character's goofiness and silliness and i you know i think mason did a great job but i don't think he's his performance was the strongest part of this short and i would be curious if i whether uh, maybe they bring in someone older or they write more into the script about his youth. Um, he just felt actually out of place and looked very young in every single scene. Yeah, I mean, they called him Junior, but right. it's it's not really enough. It's because it's, it's like this this like little hint of like a bigger story going on, but they don't really, <clears throat> you know, like develop it very much. And I, I'm not necessarily saying like I need to see the father or anything, but like I guess... The big issue, which I didn't mention earlier, is like in the beginning, the woman comes to him and like convinced that he's the one that needs to help her. But like, we don't really know why. We don't know why. And like, he was a terrible speaker at her school. And she was like disturbed by him in that moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, I I wouldn't ask that guy to like tell me the time, let let alone (laughs) try to find my son. So like, it just didn't really make sense. And then like, you kind of get, oh, it's like because of his dad that she wants to go to him but like we don't know anything about the dad and like why the dad is so great and why she would think that so i think that's sort of the missing link and like why she wouldn't tell the police uh about his whereabouts and hanging out with the laramie brothers like doesn't make any sense like why why would she keep that bit of information to herself 
and only tell a private detective. That's just, it's like those big story beats that are needed for the story to happen don't make sense. And it's yes. like, that's kind of a problem. I completely agree. There's missing, there's the story logic is faulty, um, but the, it's saved by style. This film is saved by style. It really yeah. is beautiful to look at. And you, you do think there's a lot of potential here. Like I would, I'm, you know, I haven't listened to the answers, but I'm guessing this is, could be expanded quite easily into a larger story. And maybe that's the goal, but, um, only time will tell and maybe the audience already knows all the answers to our questions <laughs> yeah and uh, I'm curious what other people think like do you guys agree with us or do you think this like just a home run and like all the quirkiness and all the oddness and weirdness is what it's about it doesn't matter that things don't make sense right. or would you also like a little bit more clear narrative thread um, in the beginning shout out to Travis though I yeah actually <laughs> And this may be biased, Aki, but I thought he was great. There was this one moment, I think it's his last moment on screen, where I was like, oh, Travis, there's something really there. Like, I think he's yeah. a solid actor. No, he was very convincing. I thought, I thought they did a great job. Um, you know, both both of the, the brothers, I thought they were very yeah. convincing in the piece. And yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't hate uh, the lead performance, but I felt like the other ones felt more natural. But I guess that's yeah. because the character is, isn't natural. It's like the character of Amos is a very uncomfortable, irritable, weird, neurotic character. So maybe I'm just focusing on that nervousness, which is was intentional. I don't know. But the other characters just felt more like a part of the world in a way, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, fun movie. I'm, I'm curious what people think. I like very dynamic, lots of locations. I think those, those are things I like in shorts yes. where it's like you, you, you don't you're not just stuck in a room. You're not just stuck in one place. Like you get to see a lot of different stuff, you know, and I think that's that's always fun. But Liz, yeah. I think I've got mail. You have it. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. This week we have another listener email. Um, this time from a new listener. Eamon Eels. Here's what they have to say. Hi, Liz and Ulrich. I just wanted to say that I just happened to cross your podcast this weekend, and I have been making shorts for only slightly longer. I cleaned out our man cave, not a euphemism, listening all the way back to your nervous first one, which was probably before the Industrial Revolution. In fact, my wife is probably equally pleased with your work given the home improvement inertia prior to the podcast zeitgeist had given this piece, place the feel of a hoarder's social club. My own movie situation is probably hopeless. I have about 20 scripts and can't seem to stop like a nervous tick. I've converted two into shorts, which, let's be honest, but don't tell the cast, failed dismally. I feel a bit like the boy with his finger in a dike, but with someone shooting at me and a pack of wolves circling. Oh, and it's raining and I didn't bring a jacket. I don't want to subject you to any, as I think it must be hard work looking at everyone's movie favorite child and giving honest feedback, although would like a podcast on the most scathing feedback received. It would be fun only if the recipients didn't self-harm and didn't take up being an actuary. I do have some silly things on TikTok, and if you were in a protracted hostage situation with weird internet setup so you could only use TikTok and the only other person you could find was Justin Bieber, and if the alternative was looking at those featureless walls you see in torture scenes, honestly, you would think someone would try and brighten them up a bit and wait till the incessant drip makes you froth at the mouth then it might serve as a momentary distraction. 
And then at the end, he says, at Fergustus2. That's their TikTok username. We got to all watch these, at Fergustus2. Wow. So that was like a really bizarre email. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Liz loved it. Um, I laughed oh. at, um, uh, which was probably uh, before the Industrial Revolution, referencing how <laughs> old the podcast is, which is definitely true. Yeah. It's been a long, around for a long time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think of this email is besides loving it? Uh, first of all, you could just tell this guy's a writer. Um, because <laughs> I mean, look at this, look at the, the illusion within an illusion within an illusion. It's fantastic. Um, I would love to support for Gustus too. And though, uh, he seems a little nervous about sharing his content. I, I would love to support him in the way that he wants us to so if he wants us to take a tiktok and talk about it let's do it yeah just however we can send us one that you like and then we'll watch it you know just one thing that you think best represents you even if it represents you in a way that you think is terrible just whatever it is <laughs> send us that and uh and we'll talk about it i mean and like you know it's funny they say like you know shorts that failed dismally what does that even mean like what does a short failing mean it's like because most shorts don't really get that much attention, don't really get much more than a few film festivals. So, like, to me, like, to ultimately fail, you know, dismally with a short film is, like, you get, like, five views somehow. Or you get into zero film festivals if you apply to, like, 20. But, like, I don't think, like, if you apply to 20 film festivals, like, you're probably going to get into at least two. Or one. I don't know. You don't I think mean, so? if you... There, there's at least top 20 top film festivals in the world. So well, don't you <laughs> top tier, your odds are going to be tough. Well, don't. But again, it's like the, the, the advice like that. Even that's in your I think you're in your short film that you made. Like, don't only submit yeah. to like the big, you know, festivals that you can't get into. Like, you know, right. submit to festivals that are appropriate for your movie, which is something that you can only yeah. learn after submitting to a full few film festivals. Um but yeah, anyway, anyways, I, I, I'm sure your your shorts are not as big a failure as you think they are. That's what I'm trying to say. And, you know, Eamon, you'll get to this since you're starting six and a half years ago. You'll get to this episode eventually. But uh, we did put ourselves on the cho- chopping block and criticize each other's shorts. And um, I really actually derived a lot of utility from that episode where I think... Um, I don't remember if it was Ulrich or Atesh, but they were like, use less dancers and make them better. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, I should have done that. Like, I, there were all these moments where I was like, oh, you're so right. You're so right. And it was really edifying to hear what people thought could make something better. Um, and I've been very wary of this segment, but um, it's nice to hear that that Eamon <laughs> is at least listening to us. Yeah, totally. And I, and I I have to admit I have not listened to my episode yet. Um you, oh. you guys talking about my movie. Oh. So I don't know the good or the bad that was said. Get ready. We're vicious. Oh, we're yeah. just, you rip uh, it apart. We're so mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was so funny cuz I saw a comment on the YouTube from um our good friend uh what's his name? Yeah, you can't exactly. And he said, yeah, he said how much he liked it. So I was like, Oh, well, you know, that's pretty great. And, uh, yeah. that made me feel good. So I guess maybe I, I don't know. I should listen though, for sure. Um, but yeah, anyways, another really big piece of awesome news. Um, 
about the alternate. We officially have our premiere. We are premiering at the Dances with Films Festival in Los Angeles on Saturday, September 11th at the midnight screening, which is Woo! super, super exciting. Um, and we're, we're playing with a movie called Zero One Zero. Uh, and the filmmaker reached out to me and was like, hey, let's cross promote. Let's like do this together. Let's like make like get this this, uh, you know, um, this movie, this screening to be like the best it could possibly be. And his name is Graham High. So what's up, Graham? I told him I had a podcast. I don't think I gave him the link yet. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, come come see our films, man. It's going to be great. Um, a lot of the cast and crew have already responded and they're coming. My actor Ed, who lives in New York now, is going to fly out and, and come and oh. see the movie in the Chinese theater. Because when he heard what theater it was, pl- it was playing at, he's never had a movie in a film festival before that he's been in. So, like, this is super exciting. And he's, like, the double lead in this movie. <laughs> like, he plays, like, the two main characters who are on screen <laughs> for, like, almost the whole movie. So this is, uh, is going to be really fun. Um, but, yeah, tickets aren't available yet. But um, when they are, uh, you know posted or whatever i'll i'll make it available on the website and social media and stuff so people people can buy tickets and i'm going to be in town for at least the weekend if not longer i'm I'm trying to decide if i'm going to come for like four or five days and really soak up the film festival experience you know because they got like a filmmaker's lounge with free booze and they've got like panels and all these things they're doing and it kind of feels like like i'm remembering like my first film festival days like back with my my first short film and you know it really is like the the best thing about a festival is going and meeting people and like soaking up the whole experience. So I should just try to like be at the festivals as much as I can. So I think I'm going to try to try to make that happen. Um, um, I will be shooting my short that weekend, oh. but I, I want to make an offer that I actually also made on behalf of Christine Weatherup because her first feature is premiering um, and she's, in addition to, I think it premiered at Woods Hole, but it's also playing Phoenix Film Festival. And I want to give away, raffle, two tickets to your film that I'm happy to subsidize. I know it's not a huge effort, but I will buy two tickets oh, and wow. we'll do a giveaway to our listeners. So you and I, we can brainstorm about what people can com- do to get these tickets. Like maybe they have to talk about about something alternate related or something Ulrich related or something the podcast related and maybe we'll do one maybe we'll do more than more than one of these and we'll yeah get, we'll get listeners there well that's very generous of you liz thank you so much um and uh yeah i think that'd be a lot of fun for people to uh you know do ticket giveaways for your film get some get some free tickets to the alternate premiere it's gonna be yeah. amazing it's, it's literally gonna be the first time that it's shown on a big screen and it's finished like form and probably the first time it's been shown at all in its finished form besides me watching it at my house um because like we're gonna finish the movie on like august 20th and then the screening's on the 11th so it's like we're really cutting it close here people um but uh but yeah it's really exciting and like you know we've we've got the some of the the sound design and the music mix like kind of in progress right now and like getting those pieces in like really changed the movie in a big way and so it's really exciting to hear like how it's evolving colors going in next week i'm doing the titles now it's all coming together so it's real it's real and um we also have a few other online um film festivals that we got into that are coming up later down the line but i'll i'll save those announcements for uh for a later date and uh yeah fingers crossed that we'll be playing in some other big festivals too um coming up 
because we're just waiting to hear back. <laughs> so stay tuned for more information about the alternate and also our ticket giveaway because we want y'all to come support Alric. And, his, and if my short gets moved, I'll try to be there too, of course. Um, if you want to be like Aim and Eels, uh, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes um, or any of the places you can leave reviews for podcasts. We should just scrap that sentence because I think it's just iTunes. Um, you can also go to our YouTube page. Uh, we are growing steadily. Leave a comment, question, see what we look like when we say silly things. And lastly, you can support the show on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash podcast. Give whatever you can. We do not pocket any of the money. It all go, goes towards the actual making of the show, all through editorial expenses. So thank you so much. Finally, check us out. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast. YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. And take it away. All right. Um, so everyone, thanks for listening. And thanks to Brett and Drew for coming on the show again. We appreciate it, guys. And just being, I know they're going to be really honest and open about things. So thank you in advance for your honesty. Um, you can also check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com, um, where eventually this episode will be posted. <laughs> Not yet. Um, and thanks to editor Cameron for doing the editing. I haven't asked him yet, but I'm assuming he's going to do it. Um, and if not, I'll do it. <laughs> but thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.